Welcome to the Paranormal News Insider for the week of October 12th, 2021, and episode number 494. And this is your host, Dr. Brian D. Parsons, and we are live on the Paranormal King radio network at ParanormalKing.com. And I'm back. Uh, took a week off last week, but I'm back on the air with you live here on Tuesday night, October 12th. Uh, grab a blanket. And uh, your cider, whatever, pumpkin spice, whatever, and uh, just relax and sit down. It's kind of weird. Like, the leaves are falling. Leaves are changing colors, but it's been awful warm up here in northeast Ohio for uh, fall. But it's still, yeah, you can't avoid people getting ready. I'm excited to see all the decorations for Halloween. And uh, it's only a matter of time until it's raining every single day here in Northeast Ohio as we uh, gear up toward our favorite season, a winter, uh, where it's, uh, uh, I don't want to talk about it. Here in Ohio, it's horrible. Uh, but uh, weather aside, I'm excited next week. Uh, we've got, uh, I've got my first live appearance. Just got an email earlier. Not a packed house yet. I'm, I'm not surprised. Um, surprised, but not surprised. A lot of people are still kind of weary of going out in, in public crowds. If they don't have to, this is a free event that I'm uh, putting on down at the Westerville Public Library on uh, Monday the 18th. Uh, my first live appearance since 2019, and I'm excited to do it. The Unexplained Cryptozoology, Ghosts, UFOs, and More. Um probably talk some crop circles and maybe uh bermuda triangle stuff stuff i've really never talked about before i might throw some stuff out there probably talk uh just to kind of round things out that i've never talked about uh, anywhere let alone down there at the westerville public library which is my 13th consecutive year appearing at the library mostly um well my first few years were ghosts then i went to uh, cryptids, then back to ghosts, and then into UFOs. And then uh, it's been cryptid pretty much ever since. So now I'm going to kind of divvy it up a little bit uh, with a bunch of different things. So Westerville, in case you wonder if you're asking, you're not sure where it's at, you're probably uh, nowhere near it. Uh, Westerville is northeast of Columbus, Ohio, uh, the big uh, the big city down there. The capital of Ohio, right smack dab. Well, that's pretty close to the center. It's close as you can get, I guess, uh, of Ohio. It's within a few hours' drive of a good majority of the people here in the United States. So come on out. Uh, but first, go on the website, the uh, Westerville Public Library website, and uh, sign up for that event. It's free. Hang out with me, and uh, we'll talk all sorts of cryptid stuff and all sorts of ghost stuff and all sorts of UFO stuff and a whole lot more weird, crazy, zany stuff. And I kind of enjoy, sometimes I do like the smaller crowds, all the crowds under like 30 or whatever. So it's, it's a little bit more 
um, whatever they want to talk about, kind of just kind of let things flow. And it's more of a conversation type thing than me saying, okay, everybody quiet. I'm going to do my PowerPoint presentation for an hour and a half. So, and we'll see, we'll see uh, how that goes, but uh, looking forward to it. And hopefully uh, the roster packs up a little bit more and we'll uh, see what happens, but I'm, I'm excited nonetheless, just to get back out there, get up on stage and uh, it's not really a stage. It's more like the front of a library room, but anyway, you know what I mean? Getting out there and, and talking. I did a presentation there from the same place I'm doing the show right now, and it just didn't have that same feel of doing a uh, a Zoom, or was it Zoom? It was one of those type of things that uh, you connect to and you just talk and uh, shared my PowerPoint. It just, I don't know, just doesn't have that same feeling as when you're talking and you're in front of people and you can kind of gauge, um, gauge how they're reacting or acting with all of that stuff. Uh, I do have one more uh, event announcement, but I'm going to hold off on that till uh, the end of the show. It's got to do with UFOs. And uh, we may dip back into the, uh, may do something here that I haven't done in a while. Talk about a, a particular thing that uh, uh, I haven't talked about here on the show for a while. I did want to dress up. I, I don't think it's, I was going to order a new uh, a Ghostbusters outfit. I used to have one a long, long time ago. It doesn't fit anymore because, well, you get older, things happen. Um, I should have I should have ordered that. That would have been fun to go as a Ghostbuster. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, we're almost at Halloween. What did, I, did I say that? Three weeks out? Just Well, I guess less than three weeks or just over two. However, you look at things. I think we're closer to... Uh, I think we're close to just over two weeks out away from Halloween. Uh, I'm ready for it. Um, I mean, that's it, though. It's it's downhill after that because then it's November. Yikes. And, uh, yeah, it's not fun after that. Anyway, let's jump into the news. You didn't come here for the weather. You didn't come for small talk. You came here for cryptid news. At least that's what I think. Uh, cryptid news, of course. I got an email about this, and it didn't really doesn't dawn on me. I don't think about these things when I'm doing the show. I just stick to my format, I do my thing. Uh, but somebody said I enjoyed your show. I listened to your show, uh, but I had no idea what you're talking about about cryptid. What is a cryptid, and and why is it news? Uh, well, cryptids are basically the name of creatures, strange animals, or uh, whatever they could be that exist. Uh, there's Basic designations, uh, definitions used by some and not by all. Um, uh, the biggest probably is the out-of-this-world type of cryptid, meaning like the Mothman or the Jersey Devil or uh, I guess you could throw werewolves in there. Uh, these are creatures that you don't see a whole lot of or uh, not a whole lot of stories. They may be one-off type of weird, strange creatures, but uh, a lot of them break the laws of physics. And a lot of them just uh, – there's no way they could exist in reality if if you're using common sense. You're thinking about biology and and everything. There's no way that they could exist, uh, but yet here they are uh, reported all over the place, these strange creatures. 
Uh, you also have out of time. Um, not out of time. I still have uh, about 50 minutes. No, I mean out of time, like creatures that once existed that uh, are thought to still be around. We have a, a story about that tonight. And we've talked about uh, creatures like the thylacine in the past. Uh, a lot of animals that uh, should be gone, should be extinct, were deemed extinct, were thought uh, not to be around. Probably the biggest one is the coelacanth. That's the one that everybody talks about, that ancient fish, ugly fish, uh, that was discovered off the coast of Madagascar back in the 1920s, and it took a few years for it to actually be documented uh, until they found another specimen. Uh, I think 1936 was it, it was official. And so that one's the kind of the poster child for that branch of cryptozoology. And to me, there's a third, but a lot of pure purists, people that are pure at heart with cryptozoology, kind of fret on this uh, third designation. And that's animals that exist outside of their normal range. And it's been probably one of my favorites lately with uh, alligators popping up in the Northeast, uh, mountain lions appearing in the Northeast, uh, creatures that shouldn't exist, uh, the alien big cats, large cats that are uh, frequently seen all throughout the United Kingdom, not to mention the United States and all over the world. So uh, not everybody really likes those because generally those are ones that were, they're there because we put them there. They didn't just spontaneously appear. Uh, a big mountain lion didn't, uh, you know, cross the uh, cross the ocean, didn't jump in the Pacific and cross, you know, to the United Kingdom. They're just there, uh, except for the stories of mountain lions in the Northeast. That's a kind of a different thing because they're not supposed to be here. Um, so you'll you'll kind of hear those different stories as we talk. And of course, you have creatures uh, like Bigfoot. Now, Bigfoot's a really interesting one. Obviously, the most popular cryptid of all time here, especially in the United States, but probably worldwide. That one is a little interesting because it could be pretty much one of all three of those, depending upon what you believe in. And potentially, if it's real, we actually do capture one. What is it? Is it a, uh, a human that uh, is weird, strange, big, uh, out of time? Is it a Gigantopithecus? Um, so we would find uh, an ancient link still living to humans that would be really interesting i should say homo sapiens uh or is it a uh, strange creature that's a, a one-off maybe it's uh, some people even believe it's some sort of interdimensional creature or even an alien so that kind of crosses lines too it goes into the uh, ufo arena but anyway that's your Kind of a quick breakdown of what cryptids are. Strange things. Usually when people ask me, well, what is cryptozoology? I say it's the study of strange creatures like Bigfoot. And they're like, oh, Bigfoot. Yeah, I know Bigfoot. He's got his own commercials. Right. He sells beef jerky. Anyway. Uh, and, of course, uh, across the ocean, Bigfoot is still pretty popular. Uh, and, of course, you go region to region. There's different names for these things, like the Almas um, the Yeti, the Yaren, well, different names in different continents. And even in the United States, there's regional names, uh, I guess, kind of like football teams. Everybody's got to have their own unique name uh, for things. you got the skunk ape in Florida. Uh, Sasquatch is kind of 
a, a different name for the same creature. It's just really when you get to these names, it's just where they're located pretty much. Uh, but anyway, the other big one out across the ocean over there in the United Kingdom, pretty much Scotland, it is the um, kind of the the flagship for Scotland. And, of course, that's the Loch Ness Monster. And that's the long-winded segue to this first story of the night. Uh, so the last episode of the show, which was two weeks ago, uh, I talked about a dramatic video taken by a drone high above Loch Ness. Uh, the person was uh, kayaking, or I'm sorry, canoeing in the, what was he kayaking? I think it was kayaking. There was a bunch of kayaks there. Uh, and he took some video via the drone of a beach. And uh, Richard Maver put up the footage on his YouTube channel, which is uh, Richard Outdoors. And he put up that drone footage uh, of the beach. Uh, he said he, uh, so a lot of people were commenting they saw the shape. And he said he didn't see the shape in the water while filming. Of course, you're probably just worried about the drone crashing. Uh, but again, was made aware when some people began commenting on the video of the strange shape onto the water. And then, of course, the story spread to the media. Uh, it was probably sold to the uh, the Sun, the Mirror, and all the other UK online rags and became uh, pretty popular. Became uh, front page news in the United Kingdom. Uh, got a lot of press over here in the United States as well about a, uh, an interesting sighting. And it became the uh, the latest one of 2021, but not an official one. And I was kind of concerned about that. Why isn't it official? And based on the story, uh, I said it uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I didn't feel like it was a hoax. I just thought it was uh, a case of mistaken identity. I, I, gave, I gave the benefit of the doubt. Uh, it didn't seem to me like there was any intention. Uh, of course, I didn't really stand back and look at it. And sometimes... I'm wrong. And in this case, I was wrong. I thought it uh, could be a submerged log or a sandbar. It just didn't look right anyway. It looked kind of strange. And even after the show, I was kind of looking at pictures. and I was like, yeah, I don't know. Something's not right with that. And I kept uh, looking at that story. And I, again, I was a little too generous on this. And uh, a lot of people jumped in and started breaking down this video, including the YouTube channel Para Breakdown, which uh, Para Breakdown, Para Broke Down this video very quickly. It tore it apart. Uh, and the intro to the Para Breakdown was longer than the actual uh, ripping apart of, of this uh, video. And it's pretty simple stuff that happened here. Uh, analyzing the the object. So basically, uh, it was thought to be by a lot of people. This didn't look right. A lot of people thought this could be a photograph or something layered into the video, which uh, would point toward an intentional hoax. So somebody intentionally took this footage and intentionally added something and then posted it on that site. And I didn't think they went that far. It didn't seem like they were trying to get too much attention, but. They, you know, they still got paid. They still got money for the story. So I guess money talks and everything else walks. So uh, looking at the shape closely, an individual named Sam Sheeran was able to pull the image out a little bit more in the video, uh, kind of highlight it and, and 
kind of isolate it a little bit better and was able to compare that image to a toy plesiosaur, little dinosaur that, uh, well, not a dinosaur, but a, an ancient sea creature where uh, a lot of people think that's what the Loch Ness Monster is. You know, the thing with the four legs and the long neck and the big body. You know, there's, I'm sure you know what that is. Uh, so it's pretty much an exact copy. When you're looking at the image pulled out of the video and you're looking at the picture of this toy that they just, you know, just basically clipped it off online and just uh, threw it into the the video. Uh, it's a perfect match. And I'll throw uh, a clip of that into the uh, chat room here in a second. So longtime Nessie Hunter and researcher Steve Feltham uh, felt immediately that the video was a fake. So he says, he says, uh, quote, there appears to be no natural movement uh, in the object and an unlikely degree of illumination. I've spent many hours as a passenger in a microlight flying over the lock, trying to spot a silhouette in the dark waters, and things just don't show up that clearly. It almost looks like the object is illuminated, unquote. Uh, so that points toward digital manipulation. Some people may call it CGI, computer-generated stuff. Um, but it's all the same thing. People, a lot of, a lot of times people just use the word Photoshop, uh, it could be different software, but Photoshop is a type of software that does this kind of digital manipulation of, of images. And it's that easy. It's really simple to take anything and insert it into a video. And if you do it right, granted, you got to look at the light, the shadow, uh, you know, and when you do it in the water, it's, it's even harder. It's one thing to do. People throw UFOs in the sky. Uh, it's kind of easy to uh, to do stuff like that. It's a little because you don't have things to to uh, compare it to when you're just throwing a UFO out there. But when you're putting something in the water, you kind of got to know what you're doing. I didn't take them too long to figure it out. I feel stupid that I didn't figure it out. Like I said, I gave him the benefit of the doubt, and I feel silly. Uh, so while Para Breakdown showed the video with the image highlighted next to the photograph. Of the toy, uh, Steve saw some evidence of his own. Let me before I get too far, let me throw that picture in there before I'm on the next story. And I'll forget. Uh, pretty convincing, and uh, it's not. It's not like it's a matter of perspective when you see this. It's pretty much yeah, that's what it is. Uh, good catch, pretty much. All right, so let me throw that in. The, Chat room. So that's one thing you're missing. If you're not in the chat room, you're not listening live with us. You're going to miss out. You're going to miss out. But I uh, will try to, the best I can, put the links in uh, on the social media. Um, it's Facebook has given me trouble lately with all that. So sometimes I just kind of don't do it. But uh, I need to get back in the habit of doing it, sharing the links to these stories and these photographs. Uh, so you can see the photograph and if you're watching in chat the top three photographs increase and they're pulling that image out and then they're able to uh, compare it so you see a cutout on the bottom left and the actual picture there on the right of the plesiosaur plesiosaur for other people tomato tomato and there it is so yeah, that's the hard thing, is that even if 
And this is the problem with videos. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter how you feel. And unfortunately, when you see stuff like this, whether it's a Bigfoot video, a Loch Ness Monster video, a thylacine video, they're all the same because it really doesn't prove anything. At the end of the day, it's just more data. And what happens is, is you basically have two sides. You have the side that attack it and say it's fake, and you have the other side that say it's real. And they'll all throw in all sorts of opinions as to why it's fake and all sorts of opinions as to it's real. Uh, sometimes there's some really good information. Sometimes uh, one or the other really makes a case for it. Uh, but more often than not, the uh, the skeptical side wins because it's easier to disprove any of this stuff than it is to prove when you don't know what you're looking at. Uh, we don't know what the Loch Ness Monster is. We don't even know if it's alive, if it's real. I mean, they've done uh, water studies that have shown there is no large unknown creature in the lock from DNA samples taken all around. So what are these people seeing? And is there something to it? And again, it's on the person who shows these things to prove it, not for the, the people to disprove it, because that's how data works. You've got to have something to back it up. A, a, a cheesy video, a blurry, a something under the water, you can't make it out. You can't just go and say, well, that's the Loch Ness Monster. Um, could be anything. Could be a number of, of things. And unless, uh, So my biggest thing was to go back to that area and film it again. That's normally what you'd ask for. Um, but there's more to the story. So uh, Steve, back to Steve Feltham, he had some uh, evidence of his own. So he points out, he says, quote, Mavers actually used a small section of drone footage elsewhere in his holiday video, but the clip he duplicated did not have the Nessie image superimposed into it, uh, whereas the drone sequence did. It's utter nonsense, a schoolboy mistake in the world of hoaxing. Never show the investigators your before and after workings, unquote. So yeah, he left it open. He basically allowed people to see his work and uh, somebody like Steve here figured it out on that angle, whereas somebody else tried to find what that image was, which probably that's kind of what I would do. But uh, you uh, you got to look at all angles. And this got exposed pretty quick. And I, I, I missed it, uh, basically. Well, Steve added, uh, he says, quote, someone quickly found the online image of a plesiosaur that had been used to create the Nessie shape, which he simply superimposed onto his drone footage. When a researcher asked to see the original footage, he had unfortunately deleted it already. Uh, more red flags, lie upon lie upon lie. Uh, the mystery around what he has done has been completely solved. It's a poorly executed, deliberate hoax. And now all that is left is for him to own up, unquote. Uh, so, yeah, it's the... Uh, it's the ongoing thing, and unfortunately, when you look at a lot of these uh, creatures, especially Bigfoot, Bigfoot is a magnet for people to create hoax videos because, uh, again, you have a large segment of the population that completely believe in Bigfoot. They got the T-shirt to prove it, and you have a lot of people who are completely skeptical, thinking that these people are all crazy and they don't believe in it. 
Uh, and you may have a lot of people in between that uh, kind of want to believe, but they're not sure. They're maybe leaning one direction or the other, but uh, it's become the culture of Bigfoot. And a lot of it you can blame on the Patterson-Gimlin film, which, again, it's uh, pretty clear you're seeing some strange creature. But, it, but again, it's not been proven. Uh, people still argue that it's a person in a suit or it's it's just not what we think you're seeing. And even when they stabilize the video or they colorize it or they uh, put it in 4K, uh, it's it's still a mystery. And, it, you know, I want to believe, like the poster on my wall says, but without anything else to back it up, which is hard to say because when you're talking about birds or other animals that have uh, been thought to be extinct and people take a picture of it, well, that's all scientists need. But when we're talking about these things that are unproven by science, it's going to take a lot more. You're going to need a, a handful of Loch Ness monster poop or scales or a body or a flipper or something to uh, DNA, unfortunately, or bits and pieces of, of body parts somehow, some way to be analyzed to, uh, to validate this. A, a picture, a video isn't going to prove anything. It just continues to add to the belief and, yes, the ongoing folklore of a creature that probably more than likely doesn't exist, but it does exist in the culture and emotions and celebrations of people who have gone there or live there and uh, make money off of this creature. Um, it's just uh, it's just an ongoing thing and i like i've said before it you could drain loch ness down to a puddle and fill it back up and people still swear up and down that the loch ness monster is still there even if uh you know there's nothing found people will still believe in it and still celebrate it and uh you remember last year we had the loch ness monster photo that turned out to be a catfish that was blended in uh to a, a series of photographs and that was pretty obvious. Everybody kind of, I knew it too. Everybody knew it. It was just uh, trying to figure out how and why and what was going on with that picture. And it didn't take long. That person at least had the maturity after all that to stand up and say, yeah, I faked it, which uh, I like closure. I like to know that these stories are definitely over. And uh, these are examples as to why a, a photograph just won't bring any valuable evidence on its own. Unfortunately, it's going to take a lot more. Um, we need DNA. We need prints. We need uh, scales. Like I said, we need something to back up what these people are seeing. You know, maybe a really good video uh, that can be analyzed or multiple videos at different angles. Of course, that's backfired as well. Uh, back in, uh, what was it, 2009 with the Jerusalem UFO video. Of course, that kind of folded on itself when the timing didn't match up and what people said they saw. Uh, that was a hoax uh, as well. Um, and it also underscores, the story also underscores, you know, what I always bring up is is that we come out with this great technology. You know, people are, you know, I started out with uh, 35 millimeter cameras and you had to develop your stuff. Maybe you had a one-hour photo. Or you had to send it off and wait a few days to get your pictures back. Now everything's instantaneous. People don't really print anything out anymore. And you're, you're able to see something right away on a screen. 
And even like my camera takes a picture and it takes multiple pictures if there's movement and I can pick out the best one. It's kind of a, a speed shot kind of thing, uh, which you could only get on high-end cameras a long time ago. So technology has changed, it's evolved, it's, it's brought a, a really good camera into the hands of pretty much everybody in the world. However, every time we advance with technology, there's also kind of what I call anti-technology, technology that's uh, used against people for something else. And you, you have, I mean, you can manipulate, you can pull people out of pictures in literally 10 seconds. You can put people together. You can add things that, that look legit. And unfortunately, with that technology, it's getting harder and harder to uh, to find to figure these things out, so it's making things complicated. Let's just put it to you that way, and we just don't have any way of you know of slowing that down. Technology is going to continue to move forward, and hopefully, the technology and the anti-technology we're still able to detect these things or figure these things out that it's layered. Or uh, again, there's a lot of telltale signs like this one wasn't able to find the original video or other pieces of the video and the photographs. We have the EXIF information or metadata. So you can see if things were tampered with. Um, but again, it's, it's going to change. It's, it's going to continue to go down that road and we can't, we can't stop it. We can't stop it. Um, See, I had a question somewhere in chat and it got distracted. Um, let's see, is a new species considered a cryptid? That's a good question. So it, it kind of depends. So cryptozoology is not a formal subject. It's not like zoology. And the ology kind of trips people up. Uh, it's just basically a pursuit or passion. So if you want to be a cryptozoologist, boom, there you go. I've made you the listener, a cryptozoologist. You can put that on a, a business card now if you'd like. Uh, there's no formal education, although you can get a degree. It's not an academic degree in cryptozoology. It's more like a, uh, I don't know what you call it, like a religious degree, but it depends on where you get it at. Uh, some are good, some are not so good. Um, but any, I guess any education is valuable, but uh, cryptozoology is basically almost like a a, a belief in these folklorish animals that may or may not exist, like the Loch Ness Monster, like Bigfoot, uh, like Mothman, all these things. And if a creature is new or an animal is new and it, it is in folklore and scientists say that's probably not a real animal, then yeah, it would be by definition a cryptid. Uh, however, uh, scientists make you know, 99% of the discoveries, and of course they take credit for it. And if there's no stories uh, about these animals, and most new animal discoveries are just variations of existing animals anyway, there's maybe one line of DNA or one little color that's different or something that's really minute that the average person doesn't pick up. It's you know these brainy scientists that uh, detect these things. Uh, but these new, if we do find new creatures that... We've never seen before, and it's just uh, some scientists discovered. Of course, it's not going to be considered a cryptid unless there's local stories. So a lot of it's based on local folklore, what people talk about. So obviously, Bigfoot is nothing more than 
uh, campfire stories or personal accounts that are just all tied together with uh, scant evidence. It's not like uh, somebody saw a kangaroo and there's kangaroo tracks and kangaroo, uh, you know, stuff left behind and multiple video and multiple photographs of the same exact thing. Uh, we don't see that in, in the cryptid field. Everything is a little different. Every Bigfoot drawing or photograph is a little bit different. Everybody's got their own take on what they are. Um, but yeah, it's uh, could be. Could be considered, in the right context, a cryptid. And I'd love to see those. That would be exciting. And speaking of exciting, uh, it takes a lot for me to get excited about the out-of-place animals. I haven't been this excited about out-of-place animals since the, uh, the uh, what was it, 2009 with the mountain lion, went all the way across the United States and uh, unfortunately got hit by a car and everyone said, oh, it's an escapee. And then they did uh, DNA analysis and found out that it came from the Black Hills of South Dakota all the way across the United States. About a 3,000-mile trip was was picked up on multiple cameras along the way. Unfortunately, struck and killed by a car about 30 miles outside of New York City. It was exciting. Um, sad and exciting at the same time. But this story here, I was in awe just reading this. I had not heard about this until uh, a few days ago. Well, I guess it was uh, a week ago now on my off week. And I was so excited to uh, document this one and talk about it. This kind of fits into... Uh, what I mentioned earlier about animals that exist where they're not supposed to be. And of course, we let them, we let them loose. We, we had them and we, we brought them to this area and they escaped or we let them loose. That seems to be the theme of a lot of these. But I don't know. I still think uh, those are really interesting stuff because I don't know about you. But uh, if I live in Ohio, I certainly never think about going for a swim in a lake and going eye to eye with an alligator or a crocodile. Uh, so I think those stories are exciting. And so this story, uh, there's, so there's an old saying in the medical field that I've kind of, uh, I heard this a long time ago and I kind of adapted it to some of my speeches in the paranormal. Um, yeah, this is about those in the chat room. Uh, so there's an old saying in the medical field that says when you hear hoofbeats, so when you hear like hooves on the ground uh, behind you, you expect horses, not zebras. Uh, you know, because there's more horses than zebras. If you live in the United States, not if you're in Africa, it's probably the opposite. You probably think zebras over horses. So again, I've used this saying while giving lectures on paranormal research uh, since the the um, since like doctors. Paranormal investigators tend to jump to the most exotic explanation for things, especially when they're in a haunted location or purportedly haunted location or they're in a prison or something. Every noise is a ghost, right? We see it on TV. We see it on these YouTube channels. Uh, the strangest thing happens, and we automatically assume it's a ghost. So we jump to that most exotic explanation. Instead of looking at the more rational and more commonplace things that could exist, uh, it's a different way of explaining Occam's razor, in case you were thinking that. Uh, Occam's razor is basically the simplest outcome is the most likely. It's pretty simple. And the saying is quoted differently, but it was coined back in the late 1940s 
by uh, Theodore Woodward, professor at the University of Maryland's School of Medicine. Uh, the actual quote is, quote, when you hear hoofbeats behind you, don't expect to see a zebra, unquote. And when he, he uh, would teach his, uh, his students this, he would say, uh, the fact is that if you're out in Maryland, horses are obviously more common than zebras in the state of Maryland. And he's, he's right. Uh, and currently there's 300 or so wild horses that live on an island off the coast. But as far as mainland, mainland Maryland, I don't think there's any horses um, living without uh, being on a farm. Sure, there's maybe one or two running around some woods somewhere. But uh, for the most part, they're all cooped up in a farm. Uh, meanwhile, about 100 miles away from this island, and about a 40-minute drive from Washington, D.C., there are currently zebras on the loose in the state of Maryland, which is exciting because I've never read a story about zebras on the loose in the United States. So zebras, of course, you know, are like horses, but they, they've got that, like that fruit stripe gum kind of thing. And I wonder what they taste like, but I'm sure they don't lose their flavor that quick. So, yeah, they got the stripes and they're horses. Horsey-looking things. Uh, and the kind of the amazing thing about this is this just didn't just happen. And they haven't been running around for a few days or even a week. It's been going on for a while. And in late September, Joshua Dubois uh, took video of two zebras running wild after he'd taken his family out to look for the zebras the day before. So... Uh, this is a big story in the area in uh, Maryland, and a lot of people were following this on social media. Uh, Joshua dressed his kids up. They were wearing zebra costumes, and they wanted to go look for these things. Uh, they didn't see him the first day, but they went out another day, and they saw him, and they took video of him, which is uh, was pretty amazing to see these uh, pair of zebras just running loose and in the woods. And it was really, which is really weird. Uh, the zebras had escaped from a farm all the way back on August 31st. That's a long time to be on the loose. And despite attempts to catch them, they've been uh, running around since. Now, there's uh, five of them in total, and two of them seem to hang out together while the three others have their own little group. Uh, the farm where they were at uh, set up a feeding station as well as a, a corral to catch them, but uh, week after week, they've not taken the bait. And the, the last news that I was able to get, uh, they're still on the loose. And people have uh, documented seeing them all over the place. And uh, a lot of officials think that uh, the time is running out on this. And if they don't find them soon, they're going to leave the area. And they could even split up even more. So right now, there are two groups. Uh, they could be uh, they could split up into individuals. Then you'd have five individuals or maybe even smaller groups. And then that's it. You're not going to catch them. Um, and it's also said that they should be fine in the winter. But they probably won't be fans of the snow. And uh, I don't know about what kinds of zebras, if they're all male, or all female, or a mixture thereof. But uh, they're saying that these uh, they could survive out there and they could uh, continue to have Baby zebras, whatever those are called. Is there a word for that? The baby zebra? I'm not sure. Um, that's exciting. I really, if I wasn't so far away from Maryland, I'd love to go see that. 
to see a zebra in the wild. That's on my bucket list uh, next to a mountain lion. Uh, but uh, they're obviously when we think of zebras, we think of them living out in the the uh, the plains in Africa. But there are zebras that actually live at uh, higher elevations, about thirteen thousand feet or so, that I read, and they do uh, they do uh, live in snow every now and again. I'm sure they're not going to like it, uh, but they have a decent sized coat because of uh, bugs that frequently attack them. So they have a decent coat. Uh, they'll be able to stay warm. They'll be able to keep their uh, feet. And their their structure is pretty much the same as a horse. Their hair isn't as thick, but it's more coarse. Not that I would, I don't think I've ever touched a zebra, but I've seen them pretty close. Uh, they're pretty close to horses as far as their, their makeup. So uh, they're not going to be great in the winter, but they're not just going to die for the winter. And of course, uh, if they stick to the coast, they're going to be fine because it's pretty moderate the closer you get to the the ocean on both coasts. So uh, who knows? Zebras running wild. Uh, I think that's an awesome story. And I know a lot of people don't like those uh, released or escaped animal stories, but um, they're out there. And another variation uh, highs and lows the last two weeks. That was a high point. This is a low point. September 29th is a very sad day, uh, especially for bird lovers. And for me, this was a, an animal that uh, I enjoyed as a kid um, reading about, researching long before I knew what cryptozoology even was. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to try to save the whales, uh, tried to save the, the uh, American bison, when I was in school, and this one was a was a cool creature. I always wanted to see. And it was the end of the line, according to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, on September 29th, as the agency removed 22 animals and one plant from the Endangered Species Act list, and now consider them all extinct. And uh, one of the animals, which is not the animal I was talking about, getting a lot excited about as a kid, but I found this interesting factoid that one of the animals on the list was found only in my home state of Ohio. It's uh, the Scioto Mad Tom, a small nocturnal catfish that was last seen in 1957 out of only 18 that were ever found. And they only lived in the Big Darby Creek, which is south of Columbus. And it was uh, listed as endangered in 1975, now considered extinct see uh, uh nocturnal catfish small very small like two and a half inches it's tiny uh, they haven't seen them crazy and i remember uh that's where i used to live there was a species of uh type of lobster that lived in a cave but they're all over various caves in Ohio, but it was uh, first discovered like right down the road from where he used to live. I thought that was a pretty cool story. Um, but as far as this creature, the largest woodpecker in the world, uh, the ivory-billed woodpecker, uh, was last officially seen in 1944, and it's gone. It's uh, considered officially extinct 
It's a sad day. Uh, it's very highly debated. It's pretty much, I call it the thylacine of the United States. It's a creature that a lot of people say they see. There's video, there's audio of its distinctive, uh, its distinctive tapping. It's very heavy for a large bird and its cry. Um, but uh, nothing validated. A grainy video. It's kind of like Bigfoot. It's grainy video, never in focus, uh, pretty far away. Um, last officially seen 1944 in the United States and as late as 1987 officially uh, of the Cuban variety. So this large bird, this large woodpecker used to be seen all throughout the southeast uh, well, I should say all throughout is a pretty rare bird, actually, even in its heyday. Uh, heavy old growth swamps. It needed old growth, uh, large swamps or large areas of old, large trees being a big, uh, big bird itself. Um, but there's a lot of people who claim to see these things. There's been scientists that have been out as I think as recently as 2012 that claimed that they've seen them. And there's people that, uh, again, also uh, claim that they see them. So you have Bigfoot researchers and Bigfoot organizations. They're actually ivory bill woodpecker groups in the South that get together and go look for this stuff. It's kind of amazing, uh, the belief behind this thing. That's why I consider it uh, very similar to the Tasmanian tiger or thylacine here in the United States, uh, the U.S. version of that, because it's, it's a creature that's not been seen in a while. But a lot of people out in the boots on the ground, people claim they see it quite often. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately for this uh, largest woodpecker in the world, it needed mature forests for survival in the southern U.S. and Canada. The land was uh, generally used for lumber. And the bird was even used for food at times and bait by southerners. Hey, why not? Got to catch them. Got to catch some fish. And the 81,000-acre Singer Tract of Louisiana was once the uh, largest old-growth swamp forest in the south. Uh, despite scientific reports of the importance of the land of the area, uh, it was all logged, logged to the ground. So if you, uh, if you have a Singer sewing machine, blame them. Blame them. Uh, they sold it out for profit. And uh, poor, I rebuild, I rebuild woodpecker, the last holdout there in the Singer Tract, Louisiana, gone. Uh, there was one lone female uh, that was seen in 1944. They watched it uh, for a few years. And in the 1944, that was the last time anybody saw that female. Uh, it was gone. And again, it wasn't, uh, it was never abundant. It wasn't like they were hanging out. You'd see like 50 of them flying over your head or anything. They were pretty rare to see. Uh, unlike other animals, um, I compare that to like the passenger pigeon. Passenger pigeon was the most abundant bird on the planet in its heyday when uh, the last one died in a zoo, just like the uh, thylacine, in 1914. But, uh, yeah, about 20 years, 25 years before the thylacine. But uh, the 22 animals and one plant that have been uh, declared extinct – don't include the passenger pigeon uh, or the thylacine for that matter, but uh, the uh, ivory bill woodpecker is probably the big, the headliner of that list. 
Uh, a lot of them were Hawaiian birds that were really hard to pronounce with O's, little dots and lines over it and stuff. Um, and a lot of them have been ex- considered extinct for a long while. The government basically, this is just basically a money move. Uh, they were way behind in the paperwork, and now they're able to save money on conservation efforts. They don't have to give uh, money to colleges and universities to go out and research these things anymore, I think is the bottom line, because a lot of people were trying to get grants to go search for these things, and now they don't have to. Now the government's not going to hand out any money to go f- look for the average woodpecker. And it's just so it's just a, a paperwork thing that we're just behind. Now the good news is there's still 90 days left for somebody to step forward with information to dispute any of these 23 extinction announcements. Um, but pretty much they're, they're all in doubt. I mean, the ivory bill, uh, there's probably more people clamoring over that than any of the other 22. Um, and again, a lot of people claim to have seen the ivory billed woodpecker and some have grainy or blurry video. Uh, but most or all of these, just like a lot of other cryptid videos, are probably a case of mistaken identity. Now, there is a, a decent-sized woodpecker. It's not giant by any stretch of the imagination. It's pretty decent, but he's not large like the uh, the uh, ivory billed. is the plated woodpecker. It looks similar. Uh, but there's striking differences in the color, although they are red and black and a little bit of white, just like the ivory bill. But there's some obvious differences, too, when you look at them side by side, and it's obviously much smaller. And, uh, yeah, it's it's a sad story. And really haven't talked about the ivory bill too much here on the show. Uh, passenger pigeons, man, those things, they were slaughtered in droves. I remember seeing pictures. Uh, there were people, hunters, standing on piles that were 50, 60 feet high of piles of birds. Uh, they just shot them for fun. They shot them for the uh, the feathers were a nice uh, bright color. They took a whole bunch to make a coat. And they thought, ah, we'll never run out of these things. Uh, so the passenger pigeons in the day, uh, they were the most abundant animal or the most abundant bird on the planet, they would flocks of these things would fly over there and darken the skies for hours on end. And there's uh, there were some sayings that uh, Native Americans had for the sound that they made when there were giant groups of these things darkening the skies, and uh, the crickets would come out and all that kind of stuff. It, it got so dark with these uh, passenger pigeons and unfortunately they were just shot for fun and shot for sport and shot for the, uh, the pelts and they just didn't take long 40, 50 years of hunting, constant hunting gone, just like mountain lions, just like wolves in the East. And just like a lot of other animals, Fox in the United Kingdom. And yeah, pass, uh, pigeons. I don't know about the passenger pigeons. I don't think they were very smart, uh, but regular pigeons. Yeah. They still, do deliver messages to this day. It's still still a thing. Uh, they have a, a race. I know they have races in the United States. They have races in the United Kingdom for how fast birds can send messages. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Cheaper than buying a stamp, probably, in the long run. And let's see. One last cryptid story, and it comes uh, very similar to uh, 
the zebras. And that's been my latest the last few years. I don't know what's going on, why I'm obsessed with this stuff. But uh, police in Riverview, Michigan, uh, which is a suburb of Detroit. It's about, uh, I think, I don't know, a few minutes outside of Detroit. Uh, they uh, Police responded to calls last week of an alligator walking down the street. And the alligator was uh, only two feet long, pretty small, and is documented. Dude, I would, you know, I've seen a lot of these stories that two feet long. To me, that's not that big of a story. I mean, anybody could walk up to a two foot long alligator and just pick it up and subdue it. It's not that dangerous. Uh, you can clamp down its mouth with uh, probably one hand at that point, wrap duct tape around it yourself. It's not hard to capture a two footer. It's when they get three foot, things get a little trickier, and but the only reason why I really wanted to talk about the story is that this is the third, at least the third, at least the story has documented two other sightings around the city this, just this year. And both in August and September, three-foot-long alligators were removed from ponds in areas surrounding the Detroit metro area. That's a little scary. That's a little frightening. Uh, Michigan has no laws against owning an alligator, and it seems that uh, most that are abandoned are about three foot long. So uh, that's the the length that they get when they become a little bit of a handful for the average person to uh, – it's no longer cute, cuddly. You can't just hold them on the couch while you're watching The Simpsons. Uh, they get a little violent. Uh, they can actually kill animals at that point. They're, they'll go after your dog or your cat. Uh, they can create injury. To even uh, to to regular people, they can take your finger off at that point, and it's become when they become a little bit more adventurous as well, because they're no longer they're no longer juveniles. They're becoming well, I guess they're juveniles, but they're becoming a little bit older. They're entering young adulthood, and so they're entering you know that weird part of their. Wait a minute. I think I'm talking about people, but they uh, they start to explore a little bit more, and they're they're trying a variety of food at that point, and they do eat a lot more food. And again, they're a little bit harder. You can't just uh, you can't just uh, put it in a little doggy bed at the bottom of your your bed anymore. You know, now it's it's they're three foot long. They're starting to outgrow the tub, the bathtub you might keep it in, or, or wherever or whatever. They become more of a handful. And they become more expensive to feed. And that's usually around three foot is when people start throwing these things out. They take them, put them in the car, and they just dump them all over the place. Uh, hundreds of documented alligator sightings throughout the Northeast in the wild going back uh, 10, 20 years. It's, it's disturbing. It's disgusting. Um, it's trendy. People want to buy these things because they're dangerous animals. And uh, they, they just look cool. They, uh, people think that they're awesome to own. Uh, that's until they start snapping at you or you, they're not cute and cuddly anymore. And they become violent. And that's when, unfortunately, uh, people dump these things out. And instead of turning it over uh, to the authorities, which is what I recommend. If you have an alligator and you're not sure what to do with it, just call somebody. Usually... Uh, I've not ever heard of anybody calling and saying, hey, I've got an animal. I, I don't know what to do with it. I need to surrender it. Usually you're not going to get charges pressed up against you for those kind of things. 
Um, but I, you know, don't call me if you do. It's not. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not providing you with legal advice. I'm just saying, do the right thing for the animal. Do the right thing for the general public. Um, think about it before you get one. Do you have the facilities to grow a creature that can grow 12 feet long? What's your what's your uh, exit strategy going to be other than dumping it in a pond? Uh, because you dump it in, in Detroit, they're going to die. They're going to die. They're not going to survive in that cold weather. And, uh, well, yeah, there's tigers all over the place. We talked about tigers in Houston. Uh, not just Detroit. Well, but tigers uh, tied up in Houston and downtown, the metro area of Houston. Crazy. Uh, there's a few of those. I've seen uh, in Chicago, I think there was a tiger. Um, it's just crazy. Uh, these animals, you know, you don't know what your neighbor has. Believe me. Uh, there's weird animals running all over the place that are exotic creatures that could cause harm. And eventually, uh, these things are going to happen where people get hurt, people get injured. And somebody uh, could get could get killed over these things. And, and until we start taking that uh, seriously, you know, we got to step it up. And and here in Ohio, we've we've done this, and unfortunately, it took a, uh, a really really horrific event to happen. Uh, you may or may not remember back in um, I'm trying to remember was it 2011? 2011, I believe it was in Zanesville, Ohio, which is uh, right outside of Columbus, Ohio. It's about uh, I think 20 minutes away from where I'm going to be next Monday in Westerville. Uh, gentlemen owned his own menagerie, so he had his own exotic animals, uh, lions, tigers, bears. Yes, oh my. Uh, wolves, a baboon, a couple other monkeys. Uh, he decided to uh, kind of lost his mind. He was depressed, and he uh, let all the animals loose and then shot himself. And this was uh, toward the evening. They shut down the interstates, the outer belt of Columbus, um, Jack Hanna, who was uh, in the Columbus Zoo, came out to help assist to capture these animals. Uh, sheriff's deputies were almost attacked by lions. Uh, there was one that leapt towards a deputy and was shot almost in midair and killed. Uh, they unfortunately had to put all these animals down. So I think it was like 15. Well, there's more than there's more than 15 tigers. So it was about 30 combined of tigers and lions that were killed. A bunch of bears, mountain lions. Um, they only couldn't could not account for one monkey. I think it was a macaque monkey. They couldn't account for it. They figure it's probably in the stomach of a lion or a tiger that probably munched on it as a snack. So you know, when are we going to have another one of those? And what if it happens? in a residential area or something like that. So a little fearful. Uh, but anyway, uh, one last thing I want to mention is MUFON. Yes, the Mutual UFO Network. Uh, they announced their 2022 International MUFON Symposium for next year. And I'm always excited to see what their theme is. Uh, so it's taking place July 8th through the 10th. It's a live event. We'll see. 
Uh, it's in Denver, Colorado this year or next year. Uh, and the, uh, the theme is going to be UFOs in the spotlight. UFOs in the spotlight. Uh, not their strongest one. But we'll see what they bring to the plate next year. And maybe they'll uh, kind of come out a little bit and get in the news a little bit better. They're hurting themselves. Anyway, I was going to talk uh, some UFO sighting statistics that uh, they finally started putting them back out there. I've got August and September's uh, from October and September emails. Finally, uh, I didn't cover it last month, but it's going to cover it, but not that big of news, I don't think. It's nothing really statistically important, so don't have time tonight to talk about it, but maybe maybe we'll uh, get to it if it doesn't end up in that round file under my desk. Anyway, uh, it's been a fun show. I know we've uh, talked mostly cryptid stuff. Uh, a lot of stuff fell to the wayside this week, uh, but uh, not a whole lot of exciting stuff other than some hoaxy-doaxies and some misinterpreted UFO stories, but it's, it's the same thing, it feels like. Uh, but hang in there. We're hopefully going to have some really exciting news. I got a feeling next week is going to be big. Uh, until then, I will see you next week. But for now, keep your eyes in the skies, your ears in the woods, the hair standing on the back of your neck, and always keep your mind slightly ajar. And above all else, don't stop believing. For the Paranormal News Insider, this is Dr. Brian D. Parsons reporting.